Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this Advocate Session episode of the Aquademia podcast, where we take 10 with the Advocate editor, Jamie Wright, to talk about what is going on in the world of the responsible seafood advocate. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm here with Jamie Wright, as I am every time we do this, and uh, we're going to talk about what's going on in the magazine. So, Jamie, what's going on? What do we got, uh, what do we got in the magazine? What do we got in the magazine this week? <laughs> Smooth. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, this week's feature is on farming seaweed in India from Bonnie Waycott. She's our prolific London-based correspondent, who, by the way, will be traveling to Japan very soon. So I'd just like to wish her well on her travels, wish safe travels to Japan. Hoping for some in-person seafood reporting while she's there. So exciting. So anyways, this time Bonnie wrote about seaweed farming in India. Her story is titled... Is Seaweed Farming's India's Untapped Treasure. Her first paragraph really sums up this, the small-scale seaweed uh, farming opportunity pretty well. She writes that uh, seaweed has been gaining global recognition as a wonder plant of the ocean. It supports marine biodiversity by acting as breeding and feeding grounds. It absorbs carbon, deacidifies the ocean, soaks up excess nutrients that could cause harmful algal blooms, and if managed equitably, it could be a renewable resource for coastal communities, offering, offering them a more stable income compared to fluctuating fisheries markets that are increasingly affected by climate change. That's a really good way to start a story. Everyone got all that? <laughs> yeah, you got all that? So, I mean, Sean, you know, in the last few years, we've seen so much attention on seaweed in the academic literature yeah. and in the media. Well, you me know, and you attended a seaweed conference recently. Just getting to that. Yeah. So, you know, it's being, it's being shown in a positive light. And as we learned last summer... At the Sea Agriculture Conference, um, seaweed and the big promise that it has, mm -hmm. you know, it's really being put under a more intense uh, scrutiny these days. Uh, so the, fe the feasibility of scaling up production, various types of seaweeds is becoming more known. What each specific plant has to offer in terms of production challenges and end benefits, whether for food or industrial purposes, we're, that, that's becoming uh, more common knowledge. So I, at, that at that conference last summer, which I love, by the way. Yeah, that was um, fun. I was really struck by the fact that, you know, despite all of these regenerative aspects, and I know you just talked about regenerative aquaculture in a yep. recent episode, in all the ecosystem services that seaweed provides, farmers of seaweed still kind of struggle with the so social license aspect uh, that fish farmers do. You know, perhaps not as intense as what salmon farmers encounter, but, um, you know, it was interesting to learn about their obstacles uh, that they confront, you know, in the U.S., Canada, Norway. You know, they deal with the NIMBY phenomenon, the not-in-my-backyard attitude that, mm -hmm. you know, anyone following aquaculture can attest to. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, back to India in Goa, you know, the, the balancing act there is really industry and tourism. Goa, Goa is known for its beaches, uh, beautiful beaches, but those waters are also very potentially productive. Uh, India has, can grow up to 9.7 million tons of seaweed per year and become a major player in that industry as, as Bonnie Wright. So get online and check that out. Yeah, super cool. And uh, as always, we always link to the articles that we are talking about in the show notes, unless they are not published yet, which is what we're <laughs> about to talk about. So what's on deck? What's coming up in the, uh, in the Advocate for the coming weeks? Yeah, so, you know, we mentioned this, Lauren's work on stress uh, in aquaculture a few times, and she's back at it. We found another really interesting. This one's a little different, though. The, she's going to be writing about a company with a really cool name. They're called 
Whoosh Innovations. <laughs> I think I'm pronouncing that right. That's uh, two O's and two H's, actually three H's technically. So it's W-H-O-O-S-H-H Innovations. Um, they're doing some really cool stuff. Uh, they use pneumatic tubes to move fish from one place to another. And, you know, I've seen oh. such things in uh, yep. salmon farms before. Mm -hmm. But what they're doing, um, taking this technology and applying it in new ways, uh, They've 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 proven that they can move broodstock from sea pens to inland tanks where the eggs are extracted without any harm to the fish. So it cuts down on the labor and the time intensive. You know, it's a really can be expensive and some sometimes kind of dangerous work. Mm -hmm. They even use the technology as a temporary salmon ladder <laughs> in British Columbia when a landfill kind of made a river impassable. They got the fish to get from one end to the other. So that was really cool. cool. Uh, it was a really difficult and dangerous site that they performed this work, but the technology performed well. So. Look for that coming up in the next, I think, week or two. Super cool. All right. And then lastly, let's hop into the Wayback Machine. I like the Wayback Machine. It's I kind know. of fun. It's kind of fun to look back and Yeah, I know you, you always got some, <laughs> some stuff that we, we want to highlight and, uh, and revisit. So what do you got this time? Let's go back eight years to 2015. It's the Goal Conference in Vancouver, Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, this is my first as an advocate editor. So I, I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't really involved with forming the program. I just joined yeah. what was then GAA just, just a couple of months before. But I have to say, probably one of the most memorable presentations I ever saw was delivered there. And it really kind of took me by surprise. And I now view it as a look to the future, really, and just as the presenter promised that it was. So a man named Alan Shaw spoke, and he was, he was and still is the president, CEO, and co-founder of Callista. So... He basically told us that fish feed would be forever changed by bio biotechnology and that a dried fermented protein made from methane would change aquaculture by helping it break its dependence on marine ingredients like mm -hmm. fish meal and fish oil. By this point, you know, in 2015, aquafeeds, you know, we're already seeing big advancements with terrestrial ingredients like soy, well-established soy protein concentrate. And there was... Company, there were companies making moves with, uh, you know, insect larvae, black soldier flies. Yep. What Shaw was promising was something entirely new. That it re required very little water, very little land, no animal proteins to produce what we now know as we do as feed kind. So basically, just just four ingredients are required: natural gas or methane, uh, oxygen, and nitrogen. Those are your inputs. And then there's a like a methanotroph bacteria that in a natural fermentation process grows much in the same way that yeast does. Mm -hmm. So ev eventually you have a biomass, which can be dried and then powderized, put into a pellet form. I bring all this up <laughs> because Feedkind made huge news this week by earning FDA, that's the Food and Drug Administration's GRAS uh, designation that's generally regarded as safe. So it was approved for use in salmonid feeds. So, you know, that's Atlantic salmon, rainbow trout, Head. And this um, was just approved recently. Just this, this week, Monday. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, it was Oosh. announced on Monday. I think the work <laughs> was probably been done over the last year or so. But, right. Well, yeah. Uh, the, first, uh, the first facility is a joint venture called Calicio. It's already online. It's in, I, I hope I pronounced this right, it's in Chongqing, China. And it is capable of producing 20,000 metric tons a year. So, in short, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you see a presentation or some announcement that says, you know, he uses the word revolutionary. Uh, sometimes so big and so new, you kind of barely understand it. Yeah. Well, sometimes the reality does match the promise. And I got to say, so for Callista, they're really becoming exactly what Shaw said they would be. And he said it first on our stage eight years ago. So that's really cool. I just like to mark that. That is super cool. 
Awesome. Well, I mean, that's it. We're still got half a minute. You got anything else you want to say before we wrap up this uh, this week's advocate no, session? Well, I, th- I th- we've come out with the news that uh, you know we rebranded the conference, our, our conference. We just talked about the old name, but mm-hmm. it's called the Responsible Seafood Summit. Yep. It'll be held in St. John, New Brunswick, this fall in October. Get the exact show dates uh, on the website. Yep. But looking forward to that for sure. But we got a lot of events in front of it. We have. The Bergen event, I'm going, traveling in a couple of weeks, and then we have Cena. the Boston Seafood Show, and then the one in Barcelona right after it, yeah. which I think I'm going to take a pass on this year. So. Yeah, I won't be there either, but I'll be at Cena. <laughs> Looking forward to Boston. I always, I think it's, you know, it's definitely a highlight for me. Yeah, for sure. And then we will both be in St. John for the Seafood Summit. So make sure you, if you're going to that, make sure you seek us out. All right. Well, that's all I got. So thanks, Jamie. We'll, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks for having me on again, Sean. 